live from Dubai. This is the drive home with Rebecca Ricketts. Good afternoon and welcome to Monday's Drive Home Show with me, Rebecca Ricketts, live from Dubai. Today I am joined by Rebecca Barry, a maths league and lead, and my colleague. Um, we will be discussing a whole range of teaching topics with a focus on leading core subjects and international education. Join in the discussion by texting or calling in. Live from Dubai, this is the Drive Home with Rebecca Ricketts on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. So hello and welcome to today's Drive Home Show. And after a two week break, it is so lovely to be back. Oh, and I'm, see, I'm already <laughs> having some technical issues, but I will get back with everybody and be back on it as normal. So it is so lovely to be back and I hope everybody has had a wonderful half term break. And for those of you who are just starting your holiday, you're going to have to excuse me as I mute you from my Twitter feed for the next few days because I am definitely well and truly back at school. So, two weeks off from Teachers Talk Radio and already I've stumbled over my words and I've managed to have a technical issue, so doing really well in the first minute. But never mind, I just feel like I've got so much to talk about. Um, firstly, for anyone who has listened to the show before, you know that my mum was coming to visit for the holidays. It was just such a wonderful way to spend my half term. I think after weeks, months, a year of uncertainty, finally meeting her at the airport was just the most almost surreal but incredible experience. And it was just so lovely to have her here again. It was 2018 when I moved here and she's not been here since 2019. So it was just so great to spend a week just having full on girl time with my mum. And I really do love having visitors. I'd forgotten how much I enjoy having visitors come and visit me here in Dubai because I feel like I can show off all of my favorite places. And I don't care how old I get or how far I've moved away. Having my mum's approval is still very important. So I really did enjoy taking her to loads of different places that I really enjoy in Dubai. Um, the weather is starting to turn now and in a strange shift to my UK life, I've actually been looking forward to winter. Uh, we can sit out and eat, eat outside again. We can really enjoy the cooler temperatures. So it was just so lovely to share that with her while she was visiting for the week. We were also invited, um, and this was a really lovely experience, we were invited to visit the family of one of my students from my previous school. And it was just so lovely to share this with my mum. Anyone that's listened to the show before, or if you're listening for the first time today, you know I speak very passionately on here about the perception versus the reality of Dubai. And it was so great for me to take my mum to visit a local family and experience, you know, their kindness and their hospitality firsthand. And to see a little bit more into my life over here, and also the culture behind the sparkle and the skyscrapers. She had a wonderful time meeting the family and learning so much about Emirati heritage, as well as, like I said, their hospitality and their kindness. We certainly didn't want to eat again for the rest of the day after we'd shared an afternoon tea with them. But the downside of having visitors is always having them leave. And last Monday, we had to say goodbye. 
you won't often hear me talk very negatively on here, um, I hope. Uh, but saying goodbye to my mum at the airport really made me remember how hard it can be when we make the choice to live and work so far away. I'm not joking when I tell you that even my taxi driver was in tears when he drove me home. I mean, it really was that emotional. Um, and saying goodbye definitely does not get easier. But school and being back at school after the half term has certainly meant that I've kept busy and occupied since my mum left. So after a first half term of finding my feet, building relationships with colleagues and students, learning the new systems and where I could get a decent coffee, it really was nice last week, we've been back a whole week and it feels like longer, but it was so nice walking in and knowing what to expect in my new school. For anyone who's experienced this today, I imagine there's quite a lot of you out there today, first day back after half term. I really hope you've had a similar experience. Every time I start a new job, I forget just how funny it is and how quickly the students treat you as part of the furniture. And it was so lovely going back in last week and hearing the students' news. And really importantly, celebrating their reading achievements from over the half term. Um, as you know, if you've listened to the show before, I am working really hard to build our reading culture and to celebrate English across the school. I've been really lucky so far to have some amazing guests on the show, um, Alice Vissafuri and Mary Rose Grieve, and they were with me to discuss building a strong reading culture. And I've been so mindful about the steps that I want to take in creating a reading-focused curriculum and environment for students to flourish. Change like this I'm learning firsthand is really not easy, and I am learning to be patient and strategic with my planning. This is something that I have talked about quite a lot. I've embedded reading cultures in schools before where I've had to show results in a really, really rapid time and have a really quick turnaround, but this way is a lot more, I'm trying to think of the word I want to use, um, realistic, I suppose, and supportive of an end goal. You know, well, this is about a journey, and I think it's really wonderful that, you know, my school is enabling me the opportunity to have this kind of strategic planning time. So one of the biggest things that we've done is launch Reading Plus, and that has been a huge success in the school. I was joined by Ian Turner from Reading Plus a few weeks ago, and it is incredible to see the impact of a structured reading program in just a few short weeks. We're the first school, not only in the UAE, but the Middle East, to invest in this program. And the company has been amazing in terms of supporting us with communication, with data, with results, with help, with support, with resources and training. I mean, the list goes on. And it has been amazing, even though we're working against the time difference, just how quickly and how responsive they've been. And that's definitely been a massive help. But what we've seen in our first, it's five weeks now since we launched the program, is that reading fluency and comprehension, we've already seen some really interesting improvements and the projected gains for the year are absolutely incredible. Um, as a team, we are being tenacious and relentless with our approach. It's tireless, but it's also about remaining really, really positive celebrating those positives loudly and consistently. And this is already starting to pay off. Students were coming into school last week and they're like, Miss, see how many minutes I've done, see how many lessons I've completed. And it's just so lovely to see that pride already in what they're doing. And what's really good is that readers of all abilities, this is non-selective, readers of all abilities are making clear and tangible progress. And it is just great to be able to engage students with their progress and their gains. 
And now, now that we've got it set up and we've got this idea and this culture of celebration, I'm now really going to be drilling my focus this half term into working with some of the clearly more reluctant and struggling readers and trying to formulate strategies with them to support them so that they can start to see the same kind of successes. We're also now only a few weeks away from our first team debate competition with the World Scholars Cup. I've got 24 students signed up and I couldn't be more thrilled. And again, this is students of all ability, which again is something I'm really, really proud of. Um, they're in teams of three and it's really wonderful when I'm doing the ECA with them just to facilitate the space where they can be independent and they're planning and preparing themselves for the weekend of competition. And I'm also really excited that we're finally going to have face-to-face -face competitions again. And the fact that we're going to be in school with other students, other teachers from all around the UAE is just so exciting. And I feel like it's a really clear sign that, yet yeah, we're still in masks, we're still socially distanced, we have to have PCRs, we've got to show vaccinations. But it's also a really great sign that we are on our way to being back to whatever is going to be the new normal. Um, leading debate teams is something that is new for me this year. So if anybody is listening and wants to reach out, I would really appreciate any advice or tips. Um, you know, I'm really looking to maximize the students' enthusiasm and things that they can do to make sure that they are as prepared as ever. So please comment in today if you've got any advice or help in how to run successful debate teams. Um, today, this is hot off the press, I've also signed us up for a TED-Ed workshop, and that's run by TED Talks. Um, this is the first selective opportunity that I'm introducing into the school, and I've selected students who are demonstrating, I can't speak today, see, it's the excitement of being back, particular aptitude, I should say, for public speaking. Um, invitations are going to go out this week, and the workshop is next Tuesday. And I'm really looking forward to surprising students with this amazing opportunity. Basically, they're going to have the opportunity to go through the workshop and then at the end of it, they'll have an audition. And if they pass the audition, they'll then be going to have the opportunity to do a TED-Ed talk, very similar to the structure of a TED talk. So I'm fingers crossed I'm going to have a few students who manage to make it through. Anyway, today's show. And I'm really, really excited about it. Um, in a few moments, I'm going to be joined by Rebecca Barry. Rebecca is a friend and colleague of mine. Becky and I have worked together in my previous school. I was head of English and she was head of maths. And we always joke, but I said I was going to say it today. She is the blonde to my brunette. She is my teaching partner in crime. And I was absolutely thrilled last year when she also accepted a job at my new school, meaning that we could continue working together and help to build this curriculum for students preparing for GCSE. Becky is an absolute fountain of knowledge. She's also my calming, oh my goodness, my calming guide when I'm getting in a bit of a slap. She's definitely the yin to my yang. <laughs> and when it comes to teaching, having both pastoral and academic leadership experience, so I'm just going to play the first set of adverts and then I'm going to invite Becky into the discussion. Need support with your phonics teaching? Did you know Oxford University Press now has three DFE validated programs to help you? Read Write Ink Phonics, Floppies Phonics and the brand new Essential Letters and Sounds. Essential Letters and Sounds will get all your children reading well, quickly, using phonics books you may already have in your classroom. Developed by the Knowledge Schools Trust English Hub, it's affordable, 
easy to use, and makes teaching phonics with letters and sounds more effective. Whatever your school's phonics needs, Oxford has the solution. To find out more and receive support from your expert local educational consultant, visit oxfordprimary.com forward slash phonics. Hello everyone and welcome to the History Hotline, the hottest line for all things black history and beyond. I'm your host, Diana Lynn Cook, making space for honest conversations about black British, Caribbean and African history. Here to teach you all the things left out of your school books. Make sure you subscribe to the History Hotline on all good podcast platforms. Follow us on social media at the History Hotline on Instagram and at the History HL on Twitter to find out about new upcoming episodes. Do you struggle with people pleasing? Is it a constant battle managing different and difficult personalities? Why not inspire, challenge and empower your team through the Mal CPD Essential Coaching Skills for School Leaders course or gain practical skills to become a strong and compassionate leader through the assertive leadership and the emotionally intelligent leader courses. All Mal CPD courses are accredited by the Institute of Leadership and Management. Find out more at www.malcpd.com. Hello and welcome back to Monday's Drive Home Show with me, Rebecca Ricketts, where we're actually going to be joined by another Rebecca today, Rebecca Barry. So you're going to have two Rebeccas today coming to you live from Dubai. Um, Becky, are you there? Can you hear me? I hope so. I am, Rebecca. Oh, fantastic. That's great. I can definitely hear you. So hi and welcome. Thank you so much for joining. <laughs> thank you. It's only taken how many weeks? I know. I'm very excited to be here. <laughs> Finally, you are here. Um, <laughs> so I've given a brief introduction, probably not one that you actually wanted. <laughs> one to my uh, you, made, you, you made me sound pretty good, Rebecca. <laughs> <laughs> But for everybody who is listening, could you please just introduce yourself and tell everybody a little bit about your career to date? Yeah, so um, I actually qualified, I did my PGC in 2011. Um, and after that, um, in my first school, I was promoted to numeracy coordinator whole school. Um, I then moved schools and I was actually really, really lucky to be in a startup school, um, which I absolutely loved. Um, I actually ended up as whole school um, coordinator for attendance and punctuality, um, as well as coordinating all of the character curriculum and ECAs for the whole whole of secondary school, which was a fantastic experience for me um, and one actually that's really helped me within my last couple of roles. After that, lots of my friends actually moved out to the UAE um, and other parts of the world. We decided to let them go first. Um, (laughs) both Both myself and my husband are both in teaching. Um, and we, at the time, we had a, I would say, 16-month-old girl, so who's now six, <laughs> time just flies. So, yeah, so we, we let our friends move out first, and then when they came back to visit, we said, right, how is it? And they were giving us all of the information, and it just sounded really, really good and a bit of an opportunity not to, not to miss, really. So we packed all of our bags and um, mo- made the move in December 2016, for the January 2017 start, um, we actually moved up to Razalkema, which is an absolutely beautiful place in the UAE. It was one of the um, Northern Emirates, and we were actually working in Ajman. Um, so it was only about a 40-minute drive, but down the road from Rak was a 
was such an easy drive. There was no traffic. It's not like Dubai at all. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we were working there for a couple of years. Um, I started as a teacher. I think within the first sort of six weeks, I was promoted to head of year, which was a pastoral role that I hadn't actually done before, but I really, really enjoyed it. So I did that for a couple of years and then made the move to Dubai. Um, my daughter was getting a bit older, um, so we got her into a fantastic school in Dubai. Um, and I moved to Latifa, which is where I met Rebecca. Um, so I moved to there as head of department. So different different kind of kind of role, but absolutely enjoyed that fantastic experience. So pastoral curriculum, absolutely loved both of those. And then as um, obviously, you know, Rebecca moved to Safa. So I followed her. <laughs> Follow you, Rebecca. I'm not sure. Rebecca found this fantastic school and said, "Oh, Becky, come and join me." <laughs> there's, there's another job going for maths, so I thought, "Okay, I'm, I'm going to go." And um, yeah, so I went back to being a maths teacher um, with the school being so small and um, the fact that there's fantastic um, opportunities for leadership possibly coming up in the next couple of years um, and also it meant that my daughter could go to that school as well so it was a fantastic opportunity really that I couldn't turn down. And it is lovely to be fair every day so when when Becky gets to school she's with her daughter and then she picks her daughter up at the end of the day so I get to see both of them every single day which I absolutely <laughs> love. Um, so yeah you just briefly mentioned obviously we moved over together I mean that wasn't obviously and I've talked about this a lot before on the show this obviously wasn't part of our life plan but it seems to be working out pretty okay so far doesn't it? Yeah I mean obviously we weren't planning on moving Um, obviously the timing seemed to be quite good with obviously the school having the roles and responsibilities that it had for us at the time Um, obviously as you say, it wasn't part of our plan, but things change very, very quickly overseas. So obviously having to adapt to that. But yeah, I think I think we I think we got some good positions there. And obviously the school is um obviously developing and they've got plenty of opportunity going forward. And obviously with having my daughter who's in primary, she's in year two, the the primary school is has obviously got a fantastic reputation. So that's obviously one of the reasons why um, I did look at that school in the first place. We're going to come on to this later, talking about pros and cons of moving abroad, but also comparing, you know, our experiences, me as a single person and you as someone with a husband and a family and how that can have impact on our choices. So we've got lots of things to cover today. <laughs> um, but anyway, going back to you and your career, um, before teaching, you said 2011, so you worked outside of teaching too. Um, how has that helped you in school? So, obviously, before I went into teaching, um, I was actually, I actually was in the Marks and Spencer um, graduate management program. So, when I left left university, teaching wasn't the first career that I was I actually went into. But I actually got a position um, after university with Marks and Spencers, and they have a fantastic graduate management program, which actually still runs at the moment. So I actually, I actually got sent to Northern Ireland, which was another um, fantastic experience. But yeah, there's there's lots and lots of things that obviously I've got from the experience that I had in management. One of them is obviously the confidence working with different types of people. Um, I managed 250 
members of staff at one point within my career, um, which is a fantastic, I would say a fantastic achievement. I think I was 20, I was 22 at the time. So obviously that it was a huge, huge responsibility at that age. Um, but obviously through that, there were loads of different skills that I was able to improve on. Communication skills um, would be obviously one of them, having a team that big and obviously being organized and having to coordinate 250 members of staff within the team would be another thing that I had to be really, really good with. The obviously decision-making obviously links directly to teaching. We had to make really, really quick decisions that would be, which would impact millions and millions of pounds worth of business. Um, and also obviously we had quite difficult customers as well. So that conflict management as well was obviously good for teaching um, when we come up against obviously conflict within the workplace and obviously outside of um, possibly working with different types of parents as well. Um, obviously our parents are fantastic. Um, it's just obviously that conflict management to sort of try and support them the best that we can um, and ensure that we're doing the best for them. So there's lots and lots of different things that I learned from that in the sort of five years that I was working for MS. The um the data analysis side as well, obviously that's a huge part to teaching. We also had that in our management career as well. So the data analysis side really, really helps me with what I do within within teaching, as well as when I was head of department. Obviously, that's a huge aspect of the of the role. So lots and lots of different skills taken from the management program into into teaching as well as obviously having to train um for the teacher side as well so what made you make the move into teaching because it sounds like you're pretty set up there at marks and spencers to be fair um yeah i mean don't be wrong i absolutely loved working for mns um i think it was possibly because all of my friends at the time were teachers so <laughs> when you're working Christmas Eve, Boxing Day, you're having to get up at four o'clock in the morning and you're doing the late nights as well. And they're having, <laughs> I don't really want to say it, they're having old holidays and you're not. <laughs> and yeah, it's, it's, a bit of a, it's a bit of a draw, I have to say, for teaching with the fact that, you know, you do have shorter days. I know that there's lots and lots of marking. I know there's probably many teachers on here that are saying, yeah, but we've got all the marking. We work at weekends. And I completely understand that. But when you are getting up and having to do all of that, when your friends are sort of having a really, really good time at that age, especially when you're younger, um, that sort of the, that was the draw for me. Obviously, now I'm a bit older and have a family. You know, I think that's probably the best decision that I did make early on in my career that I did move because I can spend that time with my children, which retail isn't as easily accessible for families, I would have said. No, I suppose that makes sense. Um, I am just going to point out the thing you said about marking. Sometimes I wish I was <laughs> just saying. Yeah, yeah, I do look at the amount of books that you take home and that you're sat with. And I do kind of think, oh, as a maths teacher, I do have it better than some of those teachers who have lots and lots of marking. And I am a very, very slow reader as well. So that probably doesn't help me when it comes to like essays. But yeah, I give you credit, you guys, I tell you, <laughs> definitely. I'm going to take it. <laughs> yeah, take it. Um, I say it to you often enough. You said though about like um, taking work home and things at weekends. This is one of the things I've talked about quite a lot in the show. I don't know how you feel about this, but I think moving internationally, I don't want to talk about this too much because we are going to talk about international teaching later, but 
just while you mention it, I do feel that we have a significantly better work-life balance. And this is something Freya's here. Hi, Freya. And this is something that she and I have spoken quite passionately about before. You know, that international teaching, the draw can be that your work-life balance is so much better. Oh, yeah, totally. Don't get me wrong. You know, when I first moved over here and I was thinking, am I doing something wrong? Because I'm not taking as much work home as what I used to. And my marking seemed to reduce drastically and yeah I would say definitely the draw of international teaching now I don't know whether or not that's because in international teaching we seem to have less of a timetable whether or not that's whether or not we have more um, PPA time whether or not that's because we start earlier and maybe we we have the time to do it when we get to school I have no idea what it is but I definitely feel I, I don't bring any work home with me at all um, I might sit there on a Saturday night for like an hour or something to make sure I'm planned for Sunday if I haven't done it by Thursday. But yeah, um, I have de I definitely saw a difference with taking the work home when I moved from the UK to to the UAE and doing it international. There's definitely a difference, or it feels like there's a difference. I mean, it's still really busy and it's still full on, and I I feel like every day is packed by every minute, but. Like you say, I, there's somehow I can stay at my desk until, I don't know, half past four or five. But it doesn't mean I'm then staying at my desk from half past four to five and still taking work home, which is what was happening when I was in the UK. Yeah, I, d I don't know what it is. I can't put my finger on it. But yeah, there's definitely a difference between the work-life balance here and the work-life balance in the UK. And especially still talking to my friends who are still in teaching over there. A lot of them feel that that they want to leave the profession because of the workload where I feel coming international, it, it just changes that. Maybe it's because it's so sunny. Maybe it's because the weather's better. I definitely do think that somehow, I mean, it's still dark now when we wake up on a morning, but it definitely, yeah. by the time you leave the house, it's warm and you're still in a t-shirt. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's one of those things at the start of the show, I was talking about my mum being here and so how saying goodbye to people, you forget just how, because we haven't had to do it because we haven't been able to do it. But that saying goodbye is one of the worst things about international teaching. But then when you think about the work-life balance, it actually makes it all quite worth it, to be honest, I think. It does, yeah. I mean, my parents were over at the um, during the half term and, you know, I had my twin boys this year and it's the first time they've been able to meet them. I mean, we haven't been home for nearly two years now back to the UK. Mm -hmm. So definitely, I mean, they've already planned a trip back in December because <laughs> because they can obviously come over here quite easily now. Um, so, yeah, it is, it is a very difficult part of international teaching, especially when you've got children and, you know, they're missing their grandparents and they they can only speak to them via Zoom and they get all excited when they, they realise that they're coming over on a flight and then they realise that they're going home. So, so yeah, that is definitely one of the drawbacks of international teaching and being over here. But it's the price we pay for, obviously, the lifestyle and things that we do have. And, you know, it is only a flight away. Obviously, COVID has put a, a stop, COVID's put a stop to a lot of the flights, especially over the last year and a half, when we thought it would be so easy to get home. And I think a lot of, I think some of the reason why people are deciding to leave international teaching, possibly, I know one of my friends is, is because they haven't been able to get back as freely. Whereas mm -hmm. pre-COVID, they could have just said, oh, it's a flight away. It doesn't matter. It's only seven hours on a flight. Where I think COVID has definitely put a stop to that and people are more aware that 
they are away from family. Yeah, I think you're right. I think that was definitely made a bit of an impact. Certainly, obviously, in the situation we were in, when we were all trying to find jobs, I found that a lot more people who maybe wouldn't have maybe gone home then decided that it was time, wasn't it? And it was time to actually try and get back to the UK. Yeah. But anyway, we have started a new school and we've already mentioned this already. The two Rebecca's have hit up Swedish yes. school together. <laughs> um, I've been very vocal about my experiences on here so far and the struggles and, you know, starting a new job and learning all the new processes and things. But for you, how has it been? Just to give everybody a bit of context, um, in our last school, due to COVID and we were in bubbles, Becky and I were sat together, just Becky and I. We had nobody around us and we were pretty much together all day, every day, apart from when we had to disappear off and teach some classes. Um, this year, we're on the same corridor and I never see you, do I? I see you on a morning as I walk in and see you on an afternoon as you walk out. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I feel like I'm missing my right arm, I have to admit. <laughs> and I do. But- yeah, I mean, obviously last year we were sat together all the time, you know, we were sh- sharing all of our best practice and obviously having English and math sat together was a fantastic opportunity. I think mostly within schools at the English and math department try and clash and try and compete to have the most time on the timetable and all of the, the extra stuff, yeah. but we worked really, really well together. And yeah, having started a new school, it, it is it is different. Um, I, think, I think obviously there's lots of other things that are you need to get to grips with as well. Obviously, the fact that we were working so closely together as head of English, head of maths, and then obviously I've taken the position with which with it just being a maths teacher, um, and obviously you, you're the head of English there. I think for me, you know, I'm finding it a case of when we started that new school, trying to get your head around like the the policies and the procedures, especially coming from obviously the school that we worked in, mm-hmm. the policies and procedures were, I suppose, slightly different and developing those relationships with, with the students because they've obviously been there. Year seven have come up from year six, um, year eight and nine have only had a small selection of teachers. So obviously they've been really, they've had some really, really good relationships with those teachers in the past because there's only been a handful of them. And obviously my experience from a small school before as a member of staff, because there's quite a few, not there's not that many of you, you do get that bond between the staff as well. So I think us coming in in that sort of third year is really important for us to really embed those relationships with the students, with the staff, and also with the parents as well, because obviously they're used to having such a small staff cohort and knowing who to communicate with and understanding how the previous staff work. I think it's ensuring that that communication is open to the parents of the students that we teach as well so that they can understand really about our routines and what we expect um, as a as a class teacher for their for their children oh I couldn't agree more so at our school for everyone who's listening on a Thursday our head teacher sends out um, a newsletter on Canva and I have a couple of frees on a Thursday and I have to remind myself every week that I should be posting things in there and again it's always celebrating something to do with reading whether it's something to do with reading plus or it's one of the other ECAs that I've got running and at the time it feels like a real effort but you realize that's just it's like number one isn't it you know we're embedding these cultures we're embedding these practices like you say Becky we're building these relationships so we have to make sure that we kind of practice what we preach and make that communication with parents open from the outset 
And then also, I was just going to go back to the idea of what you were saying as well about, you know, these students coming up from, say, year seven. Um, last year, I only taught year 10, 11 and 12, teaching year seven. I haven't taught year seven for a really long time. And I really, really struggled to adapt this September teaching year seven. I found it really challenging um, to meet the level of need that some of these students needed. And then I've also realized I've had to kind of be kind to them and myself because with everything that's happened, these students haven't actually been in school properly since they're in year four. I mean, that's crazy when we think about it like that, isn't it? It is. And I mean, to be honest, COVID obviously has really hit the the knowledge of some of these kids because there are plenty of gaps that they've got. And it is trying to adapt to not only having coming from like um, primary school up to secondary school, but obviously having that, I would say, a huge jump up from possible expectations as well in a secondary school, as well as having to navigate yourself around. I mean, obviously having bubbles as well last year probably didn't help because they wouldn't have been wondering mm-hmm. but yeah it, it, it's a big change for them as well um as for us and never mind meeting new teachers and then the teachers trying to get um in place with all of the new policies and procedures that they're having to deal with but yeah there's, there's definite huge gaps not i suppose not just in year seven um but across the board as well you're you noticing it in yeah, you're noticing it across the board, and that's that is a lot to do with obviously them missing out on so much of the school. Um, so yeah, um, I have, this is a genuine question to Becky actually because this is how infrequently we actually see each other now. How has your like start back after half term been? Like I was saying at the start of the show, like I'm finding now that the students already see me as part of the furniture. Are you feeling something similar? <laughs> Yeah, I think I think to be honest, going back after half term, it it just felt normal. It didn't feel like going into a school like we did. I mean, say what seven weeks ago was it? Seven mm-hmm. eight weeks ago. Um, so yeah, you're kind of getting an idea of where everything is. You know, you've got your classroom set up. You've got an idea of what the policies and procedures are, and you're getting into your own routines as well. And this is something that like I I swear by over being a teacher. If if I haven't got my routines in place and if I haven't got my organization sorted, then I just feel like everything's going to crumble around me. So knowing exactly what the learning, what the teach, what I'm teaching, where everything is, just silly things like how, how do I get photocopying or (laughs) how do I, how do I get something printed off? (laughs) I think I brought my own printer in, didn't I, Rebecca? I don't know where this is. How do I print something? And this is it. You'll probably pick this up between Becky and I. Becky's always, I always thought I was fairly well organized until I met Becky. And then I realized I'm a bit more of the floopy one and she's definitely more of the organized one and there have been a couple of times when I've come running across to your classroom because I know you've got a hidden printer in there because (laughs) we definitely have to learn a few new systems where photocopying and things are concerned haven't we (laughs) yeah I I even brought my own laminator in I had to buy a laminator for my daughter over covid because she was in year one at the time oh no she was even in fs2 at the time when covid started so I was trying to print off all of these flashcards and then she was ruining them all so I was having to like laminate them so I had to laminate like she was ruining them <laughs> she was she was just like crumbling them all up so I was like oh I'm not making these again I really feel 
the pain of primary teachers. <laughs> <laughs> but so anyway, I got the laminator off Amazon and it's been sat in my house going, it's not really got much to do. <laughs> so I had to bring it into school because I didn't know how to laminate something. And it, it's little things like that where actually knowing where things are, even the toilet. <laughs> yeah, a small thing. And honestly, we're, we're laughing and we're joking about it. But for anybody who is listening, I mean, this is the kind of advice that you need. Find this stuff out on day one because, I mean, things like the photocopying and the laminating, we found out two or three weeks in. I mean, I've just found out that you've got a laminator in your room, so that's a bit of a game change <laughs> for me. But there's an amazing lady. I, I passed her all my paper and my laminating pouches, and she did it all for me. She was fantastic. Yeah, and she brought it back to me in like half an hour. You're I'll, I'll introduce you to her. A lot, a lot faster than I <laughs> I did have to tell you where the toilet was. Yeah, you did. That is true. I mean, this is the kind of thing that Becky helps me out with, even finding where the toilet is. Um, so anyway, um, moving on, you teach and lead a core subject. Now, I talk about this quite a lot in terms of English and the English across the curriculum, but it is quite nice to have a maths perspective. Um, what do you find are the peaks and pressures of teaching and leading core? Um I know, big question. Basically, it is a big question, isn't it? And it's actually a question that I sometimes think about and think, oh, what are the challenges of this? Because being a core subject, obviously, you're kind of leading from the front from my perspective. Mm-hmm. You're kind of the cent- center of the curriculum. You've got your English, your maths, your science, your Arabic, your Islamic, and you're the, I would say, we're the backbone of the school. I'm a lot of, um, option subjects are probably sat there now shaking their head and going she's got no idea what she's talking about obviously (laughs) obviously we have all students um when it gets obviously to GCSEs and exam time we I feel we've obviously got all of those kids no matter what their ability is they're not able to say I'm going to opt out with this subject and we we have to make sure that basically from year seven, we're identifying those students who by the end of year 11, you know, we're looking at that flight plan. Are they going to be able to achieve a good grade in GCSE? Because they're going to have to do it. There's no opt out of our subject. Yeah. So yeah, I think that that's one thing obviously that I see from a core perspective. Um, we're always the ones that if you, when inspectors come in over DSIB, if when, you know, Ofsted wise, you're always the one where you're guaranteed to get a, um, a math specialist or an English specialist and we're, we're bound to be seen. You know, we have to make sure that we are on the ball all the time. Um, so the result pressure is, is really, really difficult. And I think that's the same for every single subject. But I think from a core perspective, it's a case of we have all kids, you know, they have they haven't opted for our subject. And it's also that 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 way of saying, you know, with maths especially, there's such a stigma related to maths where where people say, Oh, I really didn't like maths at school or I'm no good at maths, or where, you know, parents will say to you, Oh, I can't do maths, you know, so my, my my children are finding it difficult and it's getting them to have that enjoyment and aspiration and saying, you know, I can do this, not I have to do this. And there's a difference. And it's getting that sort of that light bulb moment with the kids of going, you know, you can do that, this and improving the confidence where I think from a, from a core subject, we really have to engage them and we really have to ensure that they're, you know, engaged with our subject because they've got no option 
but it's again I don't want the kids to be I have to do maths it's you know I want to do maths and if they and you always think you know if I was an option subject then how would I get the kids to want to do my subject in when they choose their options so I think that's really important from from a core subject you know you're not just teaching them the curriculum because you're going through emotion you're also making sure that the kids are getting that engagement from it and I think sometimes with a core that I mean I, I forget it sometimes you know the kids have to do my subject but what is it that makes them want to do that and I think that's that that's a difference for me um as well as obviously their ability we, we, t- we have to take every child because it's so and so important to get them that GCSE or to get them that that maths qualification because they need it wherever they go in life it's not just a case of you know they're going to leave and they're not going to need maths or English you know it's such an important role and such an important qualification for them to have I'm doing that thing by the way and everyone who's listened to the show before I say it every time I'm just sat here nodding and completely agreeing but obviously nobody can see that nodding along with you I think what you just said then about how would I get them to study my subject if it was an option option subject I think that's a really really important point for anybody that's listening that's teaching or leading core you know we take for granted our passion and our enthusiasm and our love of our subject and I think some people can get guilty of being swept up in, well, you've got to do it. You've got to do English. You've got to do math. Therefore, you're just going to knuckle down. But you're right. You know, it's about finding that passion and it's about finding that enjoyment and that enthusiasm. I mean, off the top of your head, what kind of things do you do with the students to engage? And I'm asking because I am one of those people that is quite nervous about maths. And it's some of the things that I'm very, very conscious of never saying in front of the kids because I hate perpetuating that stigma myself. Um, so, yeah, what kind of things do you do to engage the students? Well, recently we've actually just done over half term. It was it was optional. Um, we actually did a times table rock star challenge. Um, we trialed it over half term. It was the first time that we'd done it. Um, primary school actually had the... Um, the, the website and the login and it was through a conversation with the maths coordinator down in primary school because this is something that I've really tried to understand and try and get to grips with is how do they do things in primary school because from when the kids come to us in secondary we kind of like change everything or what is it that works in primary school that we need to continue on in secondary and one of the things that she was talking about was the different sort of rock star competitions and it's all to do with times tables and recall and it's it's fantastic my daughter's actually got it as well she does it um down in year two so i've had a little bit of a look of how the the students do it but we actually did a competition which was optional for all of the students within year seven eight and nine and they needed to just log on and play a couple of games, um, you know, recalling their times tables, which obviously is a huge numeracy aspect that we need to be pushing because the sevens are absolutely storming the other year groups. The sevens <laughs> are so much better. And when you think about it, yeah, I mean, when you think about it, you know, primary school, they hammer the times tables into them. And then we kind of say at secondary, oh, you know, <laughs> We expect them to have that knowledge, whereas I think with us continuing that, 
that's going to then start to get them through within year, year eight and year nine. Year nines, looking at the data, is significantly worse than year Year seven, year seven are absolutely storming it. So, for example, we gave out certificates and merits to those that were the top three in each year group and the top three in the whole school. So we did an assembly in the assembly on Thursday. We we presented that to them. We gave them certificates. And when we looked at how many questions, for example, they'd answered, considering it was an optional thing that they didn't have to do, we just said, here's your challenge, you know, we'll give you merits, um, you know, we'll feature in the newsletter, which they all loved. Um, the newsletter went out um, at the weekend for that. And one of, the, one of the students, I was blown away, one of the students in year seven answered over 70,000 times table questions in a week. And I just think that is phenomenal. I, I do not know how much time he'd spent on that, but for him to have to, to answer correctly 70,000 questions, I just think it just blows me away. I just completely, you know, he's obviously got that passion to be able to sit there and do it or, you know, the aspiration to be a, a, to achieve in it. He's definitely got determination. I'll give him that. But yeah, it's just... <laughs> I, went, I went and checked on my laptop after that assembly and I was like, oh, I bet he hasn't done his reading. He's done his reading as well. <laughs> <laughs> I after that assembly and I was like how have you fitted all that in and had a social life over half term because that is incredible um yeah you're so right I mean again it's that thing isn't it year seven and it's about instilling that and then keeping that enthusiasm going as they go up the secondary school a lot of yeah. my area at the moment sounds similar to you is um year nine I've got obviously the pockets of students that know that they want to achieve and things and they they enjoy reading already but it's it's almost about like breaking in new habits with the year nines all over again and you've said something that really resonated with me you said what works in primary that we should be doing in secondary now on twitter this conversation comes up quite a lot and you see a lot of primary school teachers you know asking or even challenging why secondary school kind of abandons what happens at primary and I think in the UK you can be fairly guilty of that to be honest because you don't have the same kind of connections this is the first time in my career where I've actually worked really closely with my primary school colleagues in terms of getting that transition and I think what an amazing resource and why are people not doing this more readily because if we're talking about progress and if we're talking about consistency surely this is where it starts yeah, definitely. I mean, we were discussing the other day um, when we had the meeting with the, the mass coordinator, we were saying, you know, what is it that they do in year six that we should be leading on from? So like we've got a meeting coming up with the um, the year six coordinator to actually have a look at what their schemes of work are. Obviously, within secondary as math specialists, what can we do to support the primary school um, staff? Because we all know that, you know, primary school they they may not have a, a math specialist there and um, we might find because obviously we teach math all the time is it something that we can give them tips wise over what works better in certain aspects of of maths and again what can they give us to allow us to have an, an easier life and maybe make sure that whatever skills that they have been taught within primary are 
you know continued within secondary as well and also it's a case of you know are they missing anything especially within the the key stage two curriculum that would really help us like when we've analyzed some of the data we've really looked at it and we've said right what is it that we need to be mastered by the time they get to year seven what is it that we're still having to do in year eight year nine year ten so for example negative numbers the students still haven't mastered being able to do a negative times a negative. And this is something that we're saying, you know, is there any way that we can make sure these things are mastered at primary school to then allow us to then start to, to move forward and progress from there rather than having to go back? Um, I mean, we probably teach some of the same lessons in, in secondary, what they teach in primary, mm-hmm. like tally charts and things like that. But for some reason, it isn't instilled in them and it's not mastered enough for them to then apply that knowledge to our work in secondary. Um, so it will obviously support us and it will hopefully help within year key stage two to sort of just amend the curriculum slightly so we have more of that fluidity between all of the different key stages and I think working in a whole school having that primary attached because obviously from the UK you don't generally have a primary school attached to a secondary school you'll have students coming up in year seven who will be from different primary schools and they'll all be at different points they would have all learned something different or they would have been better at something than another student who went to a different primary school and I remember when I was working in the UK you could generally figure out what primary school the children had come from based on what they were doing at that you know, when they came into year seven. So I think working as a whole school, we need to really take advantage of that and really work together as as a whole staff to make that transition more fluid and support each other, get steal ideas from them. I mean, the Times Tables Rockstars was a fantastic idea. They absolutely loved it, but it's something that as a, as a secondary teacher wouldn't have been possibly on the top of my list to do. So yeah definitely stealing ideas from primary definitely oh I 100% agree and it's a conversation you're saying about earlier having communication with parents it's something that I say to parents just because your students in what we class as secondary school now doesn't mean that all of a sudden your child doesn't need to be reading aloud to you at home you know I find that that's is something that we really struggle with in secondary students start dropping off a little bit in terms of reading with their families and I think yeah, that, definitely. You know, keeping that kind of oh what's the word routine going is something that's really important anyway we're going on massive massive tangents I'm going to ask you one more question and then I'm going to move on and play the news because otherwise I'm I always do this I get so busy talking I forget all the other stuff that I'm supposed to do um so you mentioned at the very beginning of our conversation that you've had pastoral and academic leadership roles um what is your preference and why? Oh, it depends on what day it is, I think. <laughs> <laughs> um, to be honest, I absolutely loved both of them. I think the fact that I've had the opportunity to, you know, experience both roles as a as a head of year and as a department head, I think having both of those, being able to combine what I know within both the pastoral and the curriculum side actually really, really helped. So for example, when I was head of department, knowing and understanding what was going on within the pastoral side 
then supported me to go towards more in-depth side of the curriculum, support the children more. Um, Also, from another point of view, is I actually really, really enjoyed both. The pastoral role was a fantastic way of getting to know the students and understanding rules and routines and, you know, really seeing what the students like and getting to know them on a personal level Mm -hmm. as well as getting to really know the parents as well obviously from a curriculum point of view is a completely different different side to it that was really focusing on you know what was it we were going to do with within maths and how are we going to do um, our intervention and how are we going to get these results so for me I don't know whether or not I can pick between the two from my point of view now having that experience over both roles for my career path and my progression is something that I'm hoping will really advantage me when I move towards um, senior leadership because having that experience obviously on both sides being a core department and also obviously managing other departments as well because we were core hods so we had the opportunity to actually line manage for example I line line manage music and I line managed uh, geography so it was really interesting to see other aspects of the curriculum as well not just mine Um, and having sort of another department to support was really really interesting so I'm hoping that having that experience will will allow me to move up whether or not I choose between pastoral and curriculum I think to be honest I want to move forward towards the curriculum side but whole school rather than just maths so that's hopefully where my my career path (laughs) will lead (laughs) fingers crossed um but obviously having that experience has done me a world of good and on the other note, I have to admit, going back to a teacher in this school um, has actually really allowed me to to think about, as a teacher, what are the priorities and actually really focus on what I can do better as a teacher, rather than having all of these other things that are going on and all my other priorities as, as a head of year or as a department head, actually just having that downtime of going okay what is it that I can do better and actually really reflect on my practices and my routines and what can I do better for the students and how can I make their progress even better than what I was doing before and even better than probably what I was doing as a as a HOD it that downtime has really allowed me to really focus on that and now I feel like my toolkit it has expanded as well as you know having that recent experience of, you know, as a teacher, you know, when I do eventually move up the career ladder, you know, giving advice to other teachers, you know, what what works really, really well. And especially having the time to be able to do that now, which, you know, as as anyone knows, being middle leadership, you don't you've got lots and lots lots of different priorities. So I have actually really enjoyed just going back to teaching and actually just going back to basics. I think that's really nice though. And to be honest, there was a moment today and I caught myself because I always say it doesn't matter. I'm an English teacher first because I feel that you always have to lead by example. And I found myself because I didn't want to mark them moving a set of books away and moving on to a more admin task. And I, I thought, what are you doing? You know, get these books marked. You've got these kids in front of you today and you need to have, you know. And it is that finding yourself getting pulled and actually having the opportunity. I think you're right to really start refining and thinking about your practice. 
Anyway, we are absolutely not even flying halfway through these questions that I have for you today. So <laughs> I'm going to give you a couple of minutes break while I play the news and we will be back with you after this. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. This is your latest Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. In Scotland, more than 226,000 pupils have additional needs, and this figure has increased by 70,000 since 2010. The Scotsman newspaper has reported the number of coordinated support plans has more than halved during this time. In England, the number of statutory education, health and care plans, similar to CSPs, has risen by almost 90,000 in five years. Pro-union campaign group Scotland and Union said the drop in numbers was deeply worrying. Their chief executive Pamela Nash said every youngster in Scotland should have the correct support in place to help them reach their full potential. For the most vulnerable, coordinated support plans are essential, giving parents, carers and children legal rights. A Scottish Government spokesperson said, all children and young people should receive all the support that they need to reach their potential. Local authorities are responsible for identifying and meeting the additional support needs of their pupils. NHS teams in England are set to visit over 800 schools next week to offer all 12 to 15 year olds a COVID-19 vaccination. The national booking system also opened last week to enable extra vaccinations during half term. In total, more than 600,000 young people have been vaccinated since the end of September. Dr Nikki Kanani, GP and Deputy Lead of the NHS COVID-19 Vaccine Programme said, It has been great to see that tens of thousands of families have either booked or already been for their child's COVID-19 vaccination during half term. As our children return to classrooms, our efforts to vaccinate children will not stop. Hundreds more schools will be vaccinating this week. It's really important that we continue with the same enthusiasm if we want to ensure children get to stay in the classroom with their fellow pupils this winter. And so I encourage all parents and guardians to head online and the information on vaccinating your child so you can make an informed decision. This has been your daily education news briefing. Hello and welcome back to the last half an hour of Monday's Drive Home Show with the two Rebeccas in Dubai this evening. Um, I'm Rebecca Ricketts and I'm joined by Rebecca Barry today, um, who is a maths 
teacher and lead and my colleague at Safa British School in Dubai. So Becky, thank you so much for joining me this e Well, I'm saying evening because it's actually nine o'clock here. I'm really struggling um, with the change in the clocks. When it got to seven o'clock here, I was totally freaking out that I should actually be on the radio. And it was only when I'd seen that the Teachers Talk Radio tweet had gone out that I didn't need to be online for another hour that I actually calmed myself back down. Um, I think it's going to take a few weeks for me to get into the habit of actually being ready at 8pm instead of 7pm. But we'll go in with it. We'll see how it goes. So anyway, Becky, thank you so much. And so far this evening, we have been, or afternoon, sorry, we have been talking about teaching core looking at jobs, starting new jobs, because we've obviously started a new job together. And we're going to make a move now, and we're going to start talking about life as an international teacher. So, Becky, my first question coming back to you is, what drew you to international teaching in the first place? Um, <laughs> the lifestyle, okay. I have to admit. <laughs> the You can't really beat the lifestyle over here. Um, when you look at what we have, you, you can't really beat it and I think it's a lot of cases internationally as well um, obviously the the money is a huge draw the fact obviously that we don't pay tax um, and the fact that you know we are getting paid a lot more than what we would be in the UK um, we we have our accommodation allowance which is obviously what we we don't have in the UK um, I still have my house which I rent out um, in England and you know I get an accommodation allowance here, so I don't really have to pay for much. Um, I think a lot of the fact is that, I mean, less for me, I think, because I've got th three young kids and traveling and using an airplane is probably not the the best option at the moment for me. But um, the access to different countries, um, the fact that you can just, well, I want to say pre-COVID, um, you could have just jumped on a plane and gone to the Maldives or Seychelles or, you know, think places that you would have just dreamed about going when when we lived in England. So that's definitely one of the things that I'd say is a, a perk of coming over here, if you like. Um, and the fact that with my daughter being in school, the, she gets to meet so many people that you just wouldn't mingle with or you you know you wouldn't get to meet where where I'm from in in England you know I think it's a fantastic experience for her to experience different cultures and we can experience different cultures as well so you know we say oh you know we live in Dubai this you know this is where people want to come for holidays this is this is one of the places where I mentioned to my husband before we got married you know I want to go to Dubai on my honeymoon and mm -hmm. now we live here and we you know we take a lot of things for granted because we live in such a beautiful place you know we have access to beaches pools five-star hotels that you know I laugh you know I have to look at the hotels sometimes and wonder if they've got valley parking <laughs> you know I'd never <laughs> <laughs> I bought a new car a couple of weeks ago and it has a valley box I mean where else would you find a car that's got a valley box you, you can lock it with a pin it's unbelievable it, it goes up and everything <laughs> I mean you've seen it I mean you would not get a car like that with a valley box in England um so yeah you, you know little things I suppose um so yeah lifestyle access to travel and the the education as well. I mean, I suppose within the UK, we have to be very, very picky on where we live and make sure that we're in a, you know, a good enough catchment area for our children to attend a good school. And here, you know, 
you know, you just have to make sure that you, you're choo- choosing wisely and you, you're getting that education. Um, I suppose if you work in school, you're getting that education for free or at a discounted price for children that you've got of school age. But again, even if, I mean, even when we were in our old school, you know, we could, we didn't send our children to, to the school that we worked in because of um, obviously it being an Emirati school. But I was able to choose the school that my daughter went to and I was able to choose that based on how good the reviews were. And I think that's a luxury here that we have, whereas in the UK, you, you have to go and live in a certain catchment area to get into a good school. So, yeah, there's definitely advantages of, of living overseas. What about any kind of pitfalls? Not to put a negative on it, but I do feel that I'm literally every week, I'm like, I should be employed by the Dubai Tourism Board or something. Because um, <laughs> I am always waxing lyrical about how great this place is. Um, what do you find in terms of any pitfalls for anybody who might be interested and needs to know both sides of the story? I think, I think from point of view we were talking about before with the the family at home. Obviously, that is a huge thing. Um, if, I mean, my friend is is moving back to the UK next year because she's wanting to be at home. She's missing her family. She can't travel as easy as what she was before. Um, and also, I, I hate to say it, but you kind of miss the NHS. <laughs> <laughs> never, never not say it. Yeah. Um, you know, I think I think when you're in England, you kind of take the NHS for granted. And there are plenty of reasons over the last sort of 18 months where I've thought, oh, you know, you're getting all of these medical bills and then you have children and you think, oh, you know, what else am I paying for? Am I in a good hospital type of thing? And there's with the medical aspect of it and, you know, you've got your co-payment and things that you don't think about that, you know, is quite a a pull I suppose to the UK um, rather than here would definitely be the medical I would have said. Yeah and I think it's things like that that people really need to take into consideration is thinking about all of the different aspects when we move and I and I do try and obviously when I invite people onto the show I really do try to kind of open that up and look at different perspectives which kind of moves me on well no it does totally move me on actually to what I'm going to ask you next And that is what advice would you give to anybody who is thinking of applying for an international role? Because obviously, international roles open up a lot earlier than UK-based ones do. I looked on test today just out of interest, and there were 160-odd jobs in Dubai alone for a range of different subjects in school-based jobs. But I mean, we're in... Well, it's the 1st of November. We're in November and, you know, the UK, it's going to take until at least January to start to see any kind of level of job increase like that. So while people might be starting to think about looking, um, what kind of advice would you give? I think it completely depends on the situation that you're in. Um, Obviously, my situation um, with having, you know, um, a family, having three kids, one of them being school age, um, if one of the reasons that I look at schools is would I send my daughter there? Mm -hmm. So I think it completely depends on the situation that you're in. If you're single and you just want to come out and you don't mind where you live, then that's going to be a completely different situation to if you have a family and you need to make sure that your children go into a school. I mean, the schools over here and the choices of schools is phenomenal you know over curriculum over um you know 
the fees, travel, transport, it's, it's a minefield. And, you know, if you go onto any of the, the mums Facebook groups over here, they're always asking, you'll always find people asking about, you know, different schools, you know, please give me some feedback on this. What schools are best to send my children to? So the advice really, if you're looking at going international, is to really research the schools. And if you're in a position over family, you know, there are plenty of places that you can look, you know, which school advisor is a fantastic website that you can go on to and look at um, the reviews of different schools. Schoolscompared.com is another one. Um, and also um, the curriculum, the curriculum, what, what curriculum do you want your children to have? And in another vein, you know, as a teacher, what curriculum do you want to teach? Do you want to teach IB? Do you want to go into the American curriculum? Do you want to go to the, C, um, you know, um, the UK curriculum they're the type of things that you you need to be looking for obviously researching into um, their KHDA um, reports all of those different things you can guarantee if you get an interview you know they're going to be questioning you about the KHDA report um, but on another oh, hand listening. sorry KHDA that's like the Dubai equivalent of Ofsted just to bookend that one yeah <laughs> so if you are also considering facebook have like amazing groups that people join before they come over here and you know they've got loads and loads of mum groups they've got father groups that you can join all with like fountains and fountains of knowledge of so many different schools across not just dubai you know Sharjah, um, Ajman, Abu Dhabi. And that's another thing you need to like consider, you know, what type of, where do you want to be within the Emirate? I mean, you know, how much do you want to travel? You could be 10 minutes down the road from a school, but traffic in Dubai in the morning is going to be an absolute nightmare. Or would you prefer to live in, you know, Rack and go to one of those schools? So there's seven different emirates that you could go to in the UAE and it's about understanding what type of schools are within each emirate and where you want to live where is it that you want to live and the the access to the school um the other thing obviously I think you probably talked about this a lot I think I've heard it on one of your other podcasts Rebecca about the different packages and things that are on offer mm -hmm. um and, and actually understanding you know what one school is offering you may not be in line with what another school offers you. And I think when we were starting to apply for jobs, it, it was unheard of to be offered a job and not make that decision to go to that school on, you know, when you got offered it. So you've got that flexibility to kind of look around and say, you know, is this the right package for me? You know, what type of questions and understanding the questions that you have to ask as well. You know, what is their medical insurance? Is the medical insurance for the company going to cover your children? Is it going to cover your spouse? Are you are you going to be allowed to send your children to the school? Is it going to be a free place? How many free places will you get? Is it going to be a discount? Some schools don't offer any um, education allowance. And if you did get that job, would you want to send your child there? And that's where you then have to research about, you know, what the school's like um, for, for children. Um, and again, Facebook is a fantastic resource for that. Um, the amount of posts that you can find on the different schools, you can just put a school name into the search box onto a Facebook group, and it'll bring up so many conversations about about that specific school um housing do you get housing do you get the allowance do you actually get the do you actually get the accommodation is it a one bed 
Is it a studio apartment? Where is it? Um, flights, you know, all of these things are things that in the UK we would never, ever think of asking because we don't get them. Um, and I know some schools um, in Sharjah, my, my husband's actually a principal um, at one of the schools in Sharjah, you know, his staff are saying that they get um, transport allowance. So some schools do offer that as well, whereas other schools don't. So those are the type of things that, that you need to look at as well. Um, we've just had a question come into the chat. Thank you, Dave. Um, if you work, if you want to move to work in Dubai and plan to start a family, how do maternity or paternity packages vary compared to the UK? Um, I think that's a really good question. Um, Becky, do you want to take that one? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it completely depends on the type of school that you're in. So, for example, you could work for the Ministry of Education or you could work um, for a, a private school. Now, the Ministry of Education is obviously part of the government, so their maternity um, and paternity allowances are very different to what they are in, a, in the private sector. So I think the last time I heard, obviously within starting a family and maternity, a lot of schools have in the contract that within the first year, you don't get as many days paid. Um, and Thank also you, you have to very... Sorry, excuse me. To... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. I say, before we even get into this, make it really clear that the packages for maternity and paternity are significantly shorter than yes. those of the UK. Yeah, I think it's 42 days paid and that includes your weekends. That yeah. was, it's around 42, I don't know if it's exactly 42, but I'm sure it's around 42 days um, for um, maternity and that there's other things that you have to consider as well so for example if you join a company the way that the medical insurance works some med some medical ins um, insurance companies will not cover you for maternity if you have not been with the the company for a certain amount of time off the top of my head I can't remember how long it is um and again some companies won't pay you unless you've been there for a certain amount of time for example, a year, so you won't get the full maternity allowance. The paternity also is slightly different. I think my husband got three days paid. Um, so, yeah, it is it is quite different to the way that the UK is. And the main thing is, is the cost of, um, of the maternity packages, um, especially if the, the insurance doesn't cover you. So, yeah. Um, very, very different. But the if, if is the breastfeeding hours, isn't it? You can then take yeah. your breastfeeding hours when you go back to work. Yeah, up to a year, I think it is, from what I'm aware of. Um, up to a year from the date, I can't remember what it is. So, yeah, basically, you get an hour. It used to be an hour a day, and I think the company normally, like, puts that into your timetable, whether or not they, they merge it and give you an hour at certain points or they, they work it with you to get that. Um, but yeah, you do get breastfeeding hours as well when you go back to work. So it is definitely something to bear in mind if you are thinking of moving to Dubai and starting a family because yeah, the maternity is very, very different to what it is in the UK. However, Dubai is kind of set up in a very different way, socially anyway, in terms of childcare. 
childcare. And again, I'm not even going to start getting into it when we've got 15 <laughs> minutes of today's show left. But childcare is very, very different and significantly cheaper than what people have to pay when they are in the UK. Um, Becky, because we're running out of time, I'm going to play the adverts again really quickly and then I'm going to come back to you for our last few questions. So we will be back with you after this. Need support with your phonics teaching? Did you know Oxford University Press now has three DFE validated programs to help you? Read Write Ink Phonics, Floppies Phonics and the brand new Essential Letters and Sounds. Essential Letters and Sounds will get all your children reading well, quickly, using phonics books you may already have in your classroom. Developed by the Knowledge Schools Trust English Hub, it's affordable, easy to use and makes teaching phonics with letters and sounds more effective. Whatever your school's phonics needs, Oxford has the solution. To find out more and receive support from your expert local educational consultant, visit oxfordprimary.com forward slash phonics. Hello everyone and welcome to the History Hotline, the hottest line for all things black history and beyond. I'm your host, Diana Lynn Cook, making space for honest conversations about black British, Caribbean and African history. Here to teach you all the things left out of your school books. Make sure you subscribe to the History Hotline on all good podcast platforms. Follow us on social media at the History Hotline on Instagram and at the History HL on Twitter to find out about new upcoming episodes. Do you struggle with people pleasing? Is it a constant battle managing different and difficult personalities? Why not inspire, challenge and empower your team through the Mal CPD Essential Coaching Skills for School Leaders course or gain practical skills to become a strong and compassionate leader through the assertive leadership and the emotionally intelligent leader courses. All Mal CPD courses are accredited by the Institute of Leadership and Management. Find out more at www.malcpd.com. So welcome back to the last part of Monday's Drive Home Show with me, Rebecca Ricketts. I've had a break for two weeks and it has been lovely to be back with my friend and colleague, Rebecca Barry, who we've been talking about all things teaching this afternoon slash evening. Um, so thank you for joining us for the last part of today's show. Um, so Becky, um, my next question, moving away from international teaching, I'm thinking more about ECTs at the moment because you know it is that first bit you say, that first term is always the hardest of your first year of your first teaching job. Um, so what advice do you wish you had or wish you had known when you were newly qualified? Well, I think you just said um, the first term's the hardest when you're newly qualified. I'd say, I'd say the first half term's probably one of the hardest for any teacher going back. <laughs> it's I, think, yeah. I think once we've got that half term out of the way, I think it's a bit of a sigh of relief and then it's 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 that um, journey to, to Christmas then, isn't it? So, yeah, um, definitely already. <laughs> I know. Um, yeah, I, I was thinking about this before and as an NQT, I always wonder how could I have made my life so much easier? I'm sat there now... I don't know how many years on thinking, oh, you know, you know, I've got, I've got time to do this. There's my routines. So as an NQT, definitely one of them is get your routines in place. Um, get your organization, you know, ensure you know exactly what you're doing um, for each lesson and um, your planning. I've got it to the point now where I, all my planning is done by Thursday before I walk, walk out the door. So I don't have that oh, I'm going to have to do some work at the weekend for my planning. So 
having those routines in place and being able to look at your timetable and say, right, I'm going to dedicate this time to actually do my planning or straight after a department meeting when I've got it fresh in my head of what we're doing next week, you know, really get that planning sorted so that you're organized. And what's really, really helped me is um, everything being, for me, I'm, I'm shocking with paper. I, a planner, I can't do. Whereas I know a lot of people love their planners. Um, but for me, it's having everything online so I can access it at any point wherever I am. So for example, at the moment, all of my lessons are on Teams or, for example, in my last school, we use Google um, Google Drive, um, sorry, Google Classroom. So all of my lessons are posted with all of the resources so I can look back really, really easily for every single class and see what we've done, see what I've taught. All of the objectives are on there, the keywords, and it's all electronic. So if anyone ever wants to see my planning, I'm not rooting through my drawers I'm not rooting through a planner it's all online for them to just real access really really quickly so advice <laughs> routine plan and just completely organize your life <laughs> around you know your timetable and can we just and highlight the fact that this is a maths teacher that said keywords this is why we're friends everybody because she understands <laughs> the importance of vocabulary my keywords are always on my board and, in, and on my planning <laughs> actually it's incredible she's got more keywords in her classroom than I've got in mine <laughs> well I've also got learning environment on my list Rebecca as I said you know going back to being a teacher yeah. I, I, I oh my classroom I've gone down to the fact that I feel people think that they're walking into a primary classroom <laughs> you know I didn't realize how important having things on the wall and <laughs> I suppose you just kind of get into the routine of teaching and you forget your surroundings but the kids actually quite like it and it definitely deafens, um, deafens the echo in in the rooms that have got high ceilings. High ceiling new build school room we definitely need to do that but you have, honestly Becky's classroom has inspired me to get my own laminator because her room looks incredible I look like I've only just moved in and we've both been there the same amount of time. <laughs> I have a lovely, I have lovely banners up. I've even got chalk markers for my windows. No, I do just stole the idea. For, completely really stolen good. from primary school. And it definitely works. So just to recap, because again, we're going off on a time. I knew we'd end up doing this, having our own conversation. Um, just to recap, being organized, making sure your resources are in place, your planning is in place, and then also thinking about your learning environment. That would be some of your key advice. And relationships. Relationships are obviously key to the whole whole teaching side of it. You know, you need to get your relationships in place with with your students. Just it, it will just be so much like nicer going into work, knowing that you can have a bit of banter with the kids and, you know, having that relationship with where where, you know, they can really come and speak to you. And yeah, you, you can also really improve their confidence if they've got that good relationship with you as a teacher. I never ever understood why people would say to you don't smile until Christmas I used to find that such an awful thing to say and so against my personality I couldn't understand why you'd ever want to do that in the classroom if you wanted to be a teacher <laughs> you'd be a bit stuck with the masks now though wouldn't you <laughs> <laughs> that was oh no they can still see the old eye roll again <laughs> the old teacher still comes out definitely um yeah, I Sorry, Rebecca. I was just going to no, say, no, just don't. on that, don't be don't be scared to steal resources. Don't make everything from, from scratch yourself. 
definitely still and my thing is ask questions and again that doesn't really matter what stage of your career you're at if you're new if you're not new whatever nqt ect as i should be saying now you know asking questions is absolutely key sorry becky i keep muting you when i talk for so long because I, I can feel myself in my ear i can hear myself back every time but yeah asking questions i think i don't think i've stopped asking questions in our new school yet what about you no i can still still asking questions i think i ask i dread to know how many questions i ask a day <laughs> but yeah no definitely still ask lots and lots of questions and I also think, and this is advice, I'm still trying to learn from myself. So this is really, you know, preaching to the choir, but not to take things too personally. Um, one of the things I've spoken about a lot on this show, um, when I've talked about well-being or just teaching in general, is, you know, if you have a bad lesson or a bad interaction with a student, just, you know, chalk it down to experience and try and move on. Um, I think that was one of the biggest mistakes I made early on in my career, taking things very, very personally. And it's actually about shifting that mindset and thinking if you have had a bad lesson or you have had a bad interaction, when you go home, try and focus on the positive things, the things that make you laugh. Because I've said it before and I'll say it again, no job makes you laugh like teaching. And I know I bore my friends telling them funny things that kids have said, but I just can't help it because I just feel really sad for them that they don't get to see some of the stuff that we get to see on a daily basis. Oh, some of them are hilarious. <laughs> and I tell stories and I'm like, I'm, you know, I want you to enjoy this as much as I do. And I'm sure they're just humoring me. But I mean, some of the stuff we get to see, it's just, it's incredible, isn't it? It is. And some of the things that they come out with is, you, you just couldn't predict it. <laughs> <laughs> definitely not no two days the same that is for sure and I love doing this radio show because it always reminds me of all the positives no matter how stressed I'm feeling I always come away thinking oh I do actually really like my job I know I wish I could say some of the things that the kids say but I don't know if they're not allowed to say them I know there are many stories that I wish I could tell on this radio show to be fair but I always think it's probably best to save them for, for not <laughs> So as we are coming to the end and wrapping up, and we've kind of moved on to this anyway, and it's a good job because the cat has woken up and is now laid all over my notes and all over my questions, but I luckily I do know what my last question is to you today. Um, what is your favourite thing about teaching? What do you love about our job? Uh, the kids. I suppose anyone that goes into teaching, if, if they don't want to get on with students or if they don't like children, I would say they're completely in the wrong job. Um, the students make it worth your while, don't they? They're the reason why we do the job. They're the reason why we go to work every day. And, you know, just to see the look on their faces, even if it's just once, you know, just within your lesson where you can look at them and go, do you understand this? And they look at you blankly and go, no. And then five minutes later, they're like, oh, I completely get this. And it's just that moment where you think, oh, do you know what? They've actually learned something and they've got it. And then, yeah, it's just such a such a nice feeling where you can just go away and go, do you know what? They've got this now or they've learned something new or I've taught them something. So, yeah, the, the students are definitely what makes it. Even, ju even them just walking past you in the corridor and just, you know, asking you how you are and just taking, like, interest in, in you as well. You just get so many students like that and just those daily interactions as well don't even have to be in your classroom they can just be walking up up, up a flight of stairs and you can just have a, a lovely conversation with a student which you never expected to have yeah nine boys had me playing football last week i never thought i would see the day 
and bless them, they were there while I scored the most feeble goal anyone will have ever seen, and they all cheered. And you're right, it's the kids, they absolutely make it for you, don't they? They come out with things that you just never really expect. You were actually and, playing football? Yeah. If you ever want to see it, Monday break, 10am, I am out there on the football pitch now with the boys in year nine every single Monday. Um, they, call, miss that. they call me the traffic light when I've got my lovely high-vis um, safety vest on uh, while I was doing my duty. <laughs> And, um, yeah, today I even had heels on. And I said, well, I can't possibly play today, boys. I've got my heels on. And they're like, no, Miss, you'll be fine. So they did. They cleared the goal and I scored. So I had a great time. So, yeah, come and be on cheerleader the next Monday. <laughs> I will. I'll have, to, I'll have to come out and um, see what you're getting, uh, getting on with. Yeah, I think next week I might actually have to have a goalkeeper in front of me, apparently. But it is. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, it was a complete open goal today because they, they allowed it because I had heels on. That was the deal. <laughs> But it is, it's lovely things. Like one of my students is demanding that I learn the UAE national anthem, you know, and I just think I should know it, really. We worked in an Emirati school for three years, but it's just so lovely that they, and every every day we we get a little bit further down the national anthem together and he, he teaches me a little bit more of my Arabic pronunciation. And I just, I love that kind of stuff as well. You know, the day-to-day, the funny interactions. I just, I don't know if you get that in any other job. Well, you know, because you've had other jobs, so. <laughs> yeah, no, you don't get as many, um, <laughs> no, you don't get as many things that amuse you, I have to admit. <laughs> more more stressful, to be honest, I would say, um, in other jobs. The humour definitely but, outweighs the stress, doesn't it? it? It does, definitely. Well, Becky, thank you so much for joining me today. It has been an absolute pleasure to finally get you on the show with me, and I really hope that you will come back and be a guest for part two and we can update people how we're getting on in our new roles later on in the year. Yep, I will do. Well, I hope, if you, hope uh, you'll have me again. <laughs> Absolutely. I definitely will. So thank you so much. And for everybody who has joined in today, thank you so much for listening. And if you are downloading, thank you so much for down listening today's episode. I will be back next week. This is it now. I'm back on Mondays. No more breaks. So please join me every Monday from 4 p.m. till 5.30 if you're in the UK or 8 o'clock. I need to keep drilling into myself. 8 o'clock till 9.30 here in the UAE. So thank you so much for listening and I will be back with you next week. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.